0: Good morning, my name is Pastor Danny Deeth and I welcome you to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is summer in Columbus, Georgia and we are doing some things in new and different ways and we encourage you to hold true for your faith as well. Let's seek God in some new and different ways. We can do this together. We're glad you're here. Come on in. First lesson this morning is Psalm 130. "Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Hear now the reading from Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well, or another translation says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm glad to be worshiping with you again this week at First Presbyterian. And I'm grateful for the shared worship with your lay people, especially my longtime friend, Alice Earhart, not my old friend, no. And I also, I just want to say how much I appreciate your decades-long commitment to broadcast television by having your service on air every week. I know you know this, I know you know this, but I just want to say, y'all, that's a big deal because there are folks who have not been able to worship their computer, and they were able to turn on the television every Sunday. So turn around and wave at Mary Jane Gaylor, y'all. Okay. Glad you're here and worship with us, Mary Jane, even if it's on the television. I don't know if y'all have been paying attention to the news, have you? Christians have been fussing. Um, a lot of people think all Christians are the same. That's not right. Um, We fight about everything. We fight about, I don't know, y'all probably don't do this here, but in some churches, they fight about the choir robes or the color of the carpet. Um, And apparently, this has been going on forever. Um, Now, some of our fights, or a little bit inside baseball, the co-eternality of the Trinity, modes of baptism, apostolic succession. Of course, anything that bothers me is a real problem, (laughs) and your opinion does not matter. The good news about these disagreements for the Christian church if there is any, is that the other side is just as disorganized as we are. You might have heard of the nuns, not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S, the group of people that sociologists say don't have any particular religious belief. And and you might think, oh, the nuns, they have one religious Feeling or lack thereof, but not not—that's not really true. Some of those people, some of those people probably show up in church twice a year, right? Um, and others of the nuns are the hardcore atheists. They disagree just as much as we are, just because they're human. Now, our passage this morning makes me think that. God has been putting up with this for a long time. Mark gives us two stories of healing that are interwoven, and that interweaving seems to be pretty much the point. We are not better off by trying to separate them out. We, we are better off by trying to deal with them together. So why are these two stories in the Bible? What do they tell us that we must know about Jesus? So, first of all, let's look at what is not known or known not to be true about healing in the New Testament. The first thing is that Jews were not Jesus' enemy, even though they get depicted in a negative light in the New Testament a good bit obviously to anybody who reads the Bible, Jesus was Jewish as were all of his followers. Jairus seems to have respected Jesus as a teacher and known about his reputation for healing. Second thing is Jesus' physical touch is not necessary for healing. Jesus Didn't know that woman was standing behind him before he felt the healing power go out of his body. The third thing is that a person doesn't seem to need to desire to be healed in order to be healed. That little girl had no opportunity to share whether or not she wanted to be healed. And the fourth thing is, although the woman had faith in Jesus' ability to heal, it's unknown whether the little girl did, and it's an open question whether or not she had any belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, what do we know about healing in the New Testament? Um, I loved what Aaron said in the children's sermon. God loves us as much as Jairus loved his daughter. God intends healing for everybody, even those who are outcast. Both the little girl and the woman would have been prohibited from participating in worship because of their illness as would anybody who had touched them. God's desire for healing is for everybody, not just for Christian. At the same time, nobody should read this and think, I was not healed because I don't have enough faith. A long time ago, back in the 90s, a friend of mine was very sick. Um, she was dying. And we had a prayer service for her. We prayed, and we congregation gathered, and we prayed. And I was a, at my daddy's here. He, he's a retired Methodist preacher, too. And he says they used to call him a little boy preacher. Well, I was, I was a little girl preacher. I didn't know anything, <laughs> And so I drove up to Atlanta to see my friend to tell her we'd had a healing service for her. I felt pretty good about that because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And at this point in her illness, she could still walk, and that would change pretty shortly. And I said, her name, I want you to know we've been praying for your healing. And she said, Cindy, I appreciate that but I want you to know I've already been healed. And I said, I want you to know you're a little bit farther down the road on that understanding than I am right now, and I'm going to have to think about that a lot. And she said, I need, I need you to know I would love to be healed physically, but my spirit is already well. And Y'all, I learned more that day than all the hours of pastoral care. Goodness. Okay, number two. Healing does not depend on a person's virtue or on the presence of a praying community. We don't know anything about this woman's morality, or whether her small group had lifted her up in prayer, but she was just as much healed as the daughter of the synagogue leader, whose house was filled with people who were praying for her recovery. Okay, number three. Y'all already know this one. People can say and think and do all kinds of inappropriate things when somebody is sick or bereaved. Can I get an amen? Oh, my goodness. Everybody in the sound of my voice has either done the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or been the recipient of that. At Jairus' house, they told the Lord of life and the author of salvation that he didn't know what he was talking about, and they laughed at him. And we have heard or said much worse. God forgive us for offering platitudes which were at best meaningless and at worst theologically destructive to family and friends who are suffering. If this past year has taught us anything, and I hope it has, it's that in times of suffering, no words or social media posts or praying hand emojis can replace the loving presence of a friend. Our psalm this morning reminds us that God hears our voices even when we are in the depths of despair. Number four, healing is often accompanied by food. Every true southerner knows this. I had a friend who was known as the lasagna lady, whose gift to anybody who was sick or grieving was a frozen lasagna ready to put in the oven, at the time best for the recipient. And some of you may have received that over the years. A friend of my older daughter's knew that whenever my older daughter was sad, bring two quarts of ice cream and two spoons. There's something, amen. Somebody says, there's something about shared food that is healing. Now, Jesus knew that. When he was facing his death and he was looking for a way to make his presence real to his disciples, he gathered them around the table and he said, This bread is my body, this cup is my food. And several of the resurrection stories tell us Jesus' friends recognized him over food as they were gathered around the table. What we know about healing can also tell us about Holy Communion. Now, we might disagree about a lot of things in the Christian church, but what we don't disagree about is that the Eucharist, Holy Communion, is essential to being a part of the body of Christ. The, the phrase body of Christ has two meanings. We are the body of Christ, right, gathered here together in worship, but we are sustained by our sharing of the body of Christ given to us in Holy Communion. Now, the fact that That the Christian church is having a big fuss about who is worthy to receive the body of Christ and the secular world is paying attention tells us how important it is. It's something that all Christians identify as being essential to their faith even if we disagree about grape juice, wine, every sunday once a year even non-christians know that it's important to being a christian on one of rabbi beth schwartz's um, and my trips to israel together a fellow traveler asked me why are you sharing communion with the christians i thought that was a catholic thing and that's what we call a teachable moment And it it was a good question, you know, she didn't know, so she asked, and now we know. In the same way that baptism initiates us into the body of Christ, communion nourishes us. Baptism is once for all, but you eat every day, and some of us eat all the time. We may not understand baptism, but... Every time we celebrate communion, we understand it a little bit better. A friend has a vivid... Do y'all use wafers or the little square things? you use wafers, round ones? Okay, good. This will make sense. A friend has a vivid recollection of taking the wafer in his mouth and pressing his tongue against the roof of his mouth And as the wafer broke, he heard the priest say, the body of Christ, broken for you. I still get chills imagining that. He said it became real for him at that point. In a previous congregation, we used Hawaiian bread. For the bread, y'all know what Hawaiian bread is? Comes in the orange wrapper, makes great French toast. A little boy, we would hand the bread to each person, right? And a little boy reached past my hand and took a great fistful in his hand. And his mother had some things to say that I couldn't quite hear, Um, but I could hear his response, but mom, it's so good. Now, I do not believe that he was making a theological point, (laughs) but he did. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The one who takes refuge in God is happy. Urban Holmes says that Eucharist is ideally suited to explain the love of God to children. They believe that when they share the sacrament with us, they are in some way equal to adults. The same way when you get moved to the grown-up table at Thanksgiving, you're like, hmm, people will listen to what I have to say now. When we share a meal, we become one with each other. Some of you might remember Eugene Peterson. He said that nothing is as important as our continuing to celebrate the sacrament. Considering the overall faithlessness and forgetfulness characterizing Christians through the centuries, the general squalor of our conduct our propensity for heresy, one of the truly incredible exceptions is the persistence with which this meal has been eaten. The power of the Eucharistic meal to keep us participants in the essentials of salvation is impressive. It's the primary way that Christians remember, receive, and share the meaning of salvation. Several years ago, Luke Timothy Johnson, professor of New Testament at Candler School of Theology at Emory, gave a lecture right before one of his books came out, and he described the role of the Eucharist, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, in shaping Christian character. He said that while none of us would think that maybe your average Irish or Italian Catholic firefighter could um, elucidate a theology of transubstantiation, when those firefighters were called to go into the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, All of them had been raised on the words, this is my body given for you all of their lives, every Sunday. And Luke Timothy Johnson said, when the time came for them to commit their bodies to the flames, they never paused. If we are Christians, we have to believe our job is to continue Christ's healing in the world. We have to believe. That restoring ruined and broken lives to the house, the body of Christ, is of primary importance. And if we believe this, we have to act on it. Jesus wedded his healing of that little girl with a command to feed her, not based on her merits, not based on the idea that someday she'll grow up and save the world, but based on her needs. She was hungry. Being the church means offering Christ's love to an undeserving world, not just to a world that meets our minimum expectation for behavior or repentance. And we know this because he first loved us and we are exhibit A for the undeserving. When we leave this place this morning, we have an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God for an unruly and unwilling wor- world. They don't want our words, they need our actions. Give them something to eat. Amen.